healthcare isn't just a clinician sitting with you diagnosing and providing treatment. It's not just, I have a cold or I have COVID symptoms or I have a broken arm or I need surgery. Healthcare is also education. It's also food, access to food and, and food insecurity. It's also access to housing and a safe place to be. Those all impact people's health outcomes. Elliot Fung, thank you for joining us today. It's great to have you. Welcome to the Waterloo Grit podcast. I'm sure our founders and listeners will uh, find it uh, fascinating and interesting to uh, get your insights specifically on uh, healthcare today. Before we get started, big shout out and a huge round of thank you and gratitude to the uh, David Johnston R&T Park for supporting this podcast. Welcome on board, Elliot. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Jay. I'm really excited about this and and looking forward to our chat over the next little while. Fantastic. So let's get started with uh, you giving us your personal story. You have this really fascinating background that straddled Blackberry, the Waterloo School District Board, Education, Consular at Wilmot, and of course, leading Mix. So yeah, walk us through your journey, your personal journey. So my journey has been really interesting getting here, and and I feel like where I am right now, it's always been the journey, but I just didn't know I was going to end up here. I, I come from a bit of an education background, a bit of a technology background, a little bit of a, a government services background. I had originally had a, this incredible passion for politics and law, and I'd always thought that was the path that I was going to go in. And then I, I started to discover through my career that what I was really passionate about was connecting and being a connector and working with systems and ecosystems. So I've been an elected official. I was uh, vice chair of the public school board. I, was, I sat on municipal council. I spent seven incredible years at BlackBerry. Uh, and of course, BlackBerry in Waterloo Region has made some incredible impacts for us, both at an economic development level, as well as a talent level. I certainly would never have been able to do what I do now if it wasn't for those formidable years at BlackBerry for, for seven years. I got to touch and do things that I would never have been able to at, at other companies when I was, you know, 28 years old. So I it was at BlackBerry working with our large enterprise customers, trying to help them find solutions to some of their large enterprise problems. And then when I left BlackBerry, I joined uh, the public service and I worked for our local health system here. And, and I very quickly developed this passion for health innovation and medical technology and seeing how we can intersect and try to intersect the innovators we have in our communities with the health system partners and leaders and clinicians and patients that we have as well to try to solve some of our problems. So I've been at Mix for the last uh, year and a bit as the inaugural executive director. And I'm super fortunate because I get to do everything that I love doing. I get to work with the technology companies. I get to work with system leaders and bring out ecosystems and systems together. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to be where I am right now. It's a good tee off spot to talk about the healthcare system. Given the vantage point that you have, which includes the private enterprise, public sector, and clearly what you're doing to the ecosystem on a scale of one to 10, where would you rank? the Canadian healthcare system. I'm going to give you a number and then I'm going to explain it. So I think very holistically, we're probably at about a seven and a half, almost eight, but I'll explain my reasoning there. Ironically, I actually just read an article last night or the night before 
about a ranking of the top health systems in the world, top countries for their health system. Canada was on that list. The usual suspects were on that list, the UK, Sweden, Finland, th those countries. What I see for us is a full acceptance of our Canadian culture and our health system. And I think that's extremely important. So Canadians really value our public health system. We really value the universal health care that we have, and, and we really value being able to deliver care to anyone who needs it. And I think that's extremely important for a health system because it's not only looking at the, the health of the individual, but also the health of the community and, and the health of the population. As a result, though, we have some opportunities for sure that we haven't been able to quite figure out yet. And, and that's how we really, truly adopt novel and innovative technologies in our health system to make it even better. And I feel like the problem or the rather the reason why we haven't been able to do that is because of the tension we have between our passionate, vehement love for our universal public health care system and integrating some of the private and industry partners in a way that works with our system and works with our cultural values. In terms of care delivery, we have incredible clinicians and, and care delivery partners. We have world-class academic institutions for, for healthcare here. We have world-class services at hospitals and community health centers and community care organizations. But depending on where you live, healthcare is very different. And that's the unfortunate piece. And that's why I don't give it a 10. And I would give it a 10 if we had a truly equitable healthcare system. So depending on where I live, I might have great access, you know, same day, next day access to a primary care provider, or I might have easy access to certain surgical options or mental health services or women's health issues. But that's not universal across our country. And from a systemic point of view, I think if we are to be truly equitable, we would look at how we can resolve some of those inequities for sure. You answered one of the points I wanted to talk about, which is if you were to categorize one or two things that needs to be fixed through innovation and how mix can potentially play a role, what would those be? The equitable access clearly is one. What else yeah. can you think of? So I'll, I'll, I just want to touch on the equitable access one more time. I think a lot of people are surprised when they hear me and, and other people talk about that and talk about how that is such an important part of making our health system stronger, looking at our most complex and most vulnerable patients and residents. And then the second part is changing the perspective of what healthcare is. So healthcare isn't just a clinician sitting with you, diagnosing and providing treatment. It's not just, I have a cold or I have COVID symptoms or I have a broken arm or I need surgery. Healthcare is also education. It's also food, access to food and, and food insecurity. It's also access to housing and, and a safe place to be. Those all um, impact people's health outcomes. Education's a really big one for me. So we as, a, as industry partners in healthcare, as well as our healthcare providers, I believe, have a role to play in education. So the example I can give you is in, in Waterloo Region, our high school graduation rates are somewhere around 83, 84%, I believe. I'm sure someone's going to message me after this and, and tell me exactly what it is, but 83, 84%. So give or take, there's 2,000, 3,000 students uh, who graduate high school every year, which means on average, two out of every 10 students don't graduate high school in Waterloo Region. Well, 
when you think about what Waterloo Region is, that's a shocking number, an absolutely shocking number that many students don't graduate high school. And why does that matter to people like me and, and the partners that I work with at MEX? We know that if you don't graduate high school, you are more likely to have poorer health outcomes later in life. You're more likely to have food insecurity, housing insecurity, and those all impact your health outcomes. And those in turn create a bigger need for the work, not only that we do, but the clinicians that, that provide the care directly. So really important factor, I think, in, in improving healthcare. I also think that we need to do a better job in general as a health system of dealing with issues earlier on and prevention so that we can reduce all of those downstream issues like wait times for complex needs and, and mental health. If we can not only make more investments, but shift investments into those upstream services, I think that's really important. Yeah, you bring about uh, an extremely interesting insight. And then thanks for articulating that. I think a lot of people don't really understand, including me, how public healthcare works, specifically vis-a-vis -vis community healthcare or, or private healthcare. Right? And the point that you bring up is fascinating. One of the things we look at the Accelerator Center is what types of revenue streams are attractive so we can begin to do things that are non-prescriptive in nature. So to your example, if you were to look at bringing in interventions through innovation in education, my guess is the proposals that you submit to the, the various government stakeholders may not go down necessarily well because your quote-unquote scope is to stay within within mix and specifically within healthcare. So number question number one is, do you agree with that? And question number two is, what could you possibly do to think out of the box? So I, I do agree, absolutely. I think it, it's very difficult, not because there's not really well-meaning people in government, but just the way our government systems and structures and programs are set up. We are typically put in a, a very specific box or revenue or um, funding stream when we're looking at funding a certain idea or program. Because one of the, the big things, and, and this is more on the education side, one of the things that I would do personally to help with not only education, but healthcare is look at nutrition programs for schools, for elementary schools. It's really unfortunate the number of students that go to school either hungry or with not enough healthy foods or don't have access to healthy foods in our, our region in particular. And that can have a huge impact on not only education, but mental health and, and health outcomes. So it would be very out of scope for Mix to propose to the government that we run a program like this, but it, we do see the value in, in that from a population health perspective and an ecosystem perspective. The other thing that out of the box, I would get students exposed to the art of the possible very early on. So they can not only understand the types of things that are out there, that they can work towards and have inspiration for, but also see the people that are doing it. The, the people that are building the technologies right now come from very diverse backgrounds and experiences. And having those students exposed to some of that can really help inspire them and bring them along in the journey as they go through their educational programming. It's, it's a little bit self-serving on my end, I'll be honest, because one of the big issues, and I be, might be getting ahead of myself because I'm, I'm sure this will come up in our conversation today, but one of the big issues we have is talent. And I think if we can start much earlier in terms of inspiring and training talent, we'll have a much 
easier job in the future of being able to attract and retain talent in med tech in this region. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think the, the opportunity that players like us have is potentially to put together some sort of a new framework that says, can we complete the value chain right within healthcare? Here are the innovators, here are the entrepreneurs, here are the folks in from education, folks from the agri and food space, et cetera. The trick, I guess, like everything else in life is execution. What does that mean? Well, it, it's actually, you inspired me there because the value prop of some of these ideas is sometimes very difficult to articulate and, or it's such a law return from a, particularly from a government perspective, you really need to bring in a lot of system partners like the AC and, and like mix and like the region and academic institutions, as well as other industry partners, so that you have so much support for some of these ideas that it can't fail because there's too many people that are invested in it because the ROI in, in healthcare in Canada is very difficult to articulate. If we do bring the ecosystem together and put together, you know, for the lack of a better word, a, a proposal through this proposed sandbox, what are the outcomes, right? That the, that stakeholders can look at and say, well, are you guys signing up economic impact? Are you signing up for the, the startups or, or ventures that will go and raise capital? Are you going to create jobs? And those are highly objective outcomes and rightfully so. But I think what we're talking about is something that's a fundamental shift in paradigm, which has not been seen and potentially hard to measure, but at the same time, it sows the seeds for the future, right? Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you. So it's shifting the paradigm and building a foundation for what we are absolutely going to need. It's similar to, maybe this is a bad example, but it's similar to when the region built the LRT a couple of years ago, mm. and it was a very difficult sell in some corners of the region. But if it wasn't done, we would certainly be seeing the impact 15, 20 years from now. And if it was done, we might not necessarily see the impact if it wasn't done, but because everything should be operating properly from a population perspective. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing with what we're talking about. There's a fundamental shift in, in how we deliver care, how we come together as an ecosystem, how we work with health innovators that might not see tangible results in year one, two, or three, but mm -hmm. certainly in 10, 15 years from now, it, it will just be, it, it'll be rote in the system that industry partners are working alongside clinicians and alongside patients mm -hmm. and health innovation really isn't innovation anymore. It's just what we do. Spot on. And maybe this is the takeaway for the two of us, right? To at the end of the podcast, go back to the whiteboard and see what we can constructively yeah. come up with for the region and the country. Yeah. And it's been a long time since I've, I've actually had a brainstorming whiteboard session on a whiteboard. I would love to do that again. Well, let's do it. Uh, yeah. Nothing like doing this in person. Yeah. You touched upon something interesting at the beginning and um, the potential material that you read that compared Canada to some of the countries that you mentioned, you know, the Scandinavian countries. It's fascinating to me that oftentimes we compare ourselves with the U.S. and, you know, and we're articulately better than the U.S. But are we missing the point there by, by looking at the wrong threshold? I don't know if the U.S. is the right country to compare ourselves to. So if you were to, in your experience, if you were to benchmark an ecosystem that's out there, that's performing well based off of you know, whatever subjective standards. What would it look like? So 
I agree with the premise, actually. I, I don't think the U.S. is necessarily the country we should be comparing ourselves to. And oftentimes I don't think that the Scandinavian countries are really the right countries to look to either because our populations are very different. And, and that's kind of what my answer is. So the benchmark is we really need to look at what our population needs in terms of healthcare and build systems and solutions around that because it is very difficult to compare yourself to another country. Yes, wait times might be better in the States, for instance, for a particular procedure. However, it might be far worse equitable access or it's a, a user pay system. And that's a, the give and take we have. So for me, the benchmark is what do we culturally value in terms of our health system? What are we willing to give up and or willing to say, that's okay. I, I can either wait or I don't need X, Y, Z. And what is a must have? So things like mental health, if we're serious about mental health, then we should be providing and investing far more into the less acuity and, and the farther upstream services to provide holy mental health supports and recognizing what mental health actually is and the impact it has on, on people's health outcomes. Makes sense. Yeah. And then the other side is marrying, and this is where Mix comes in, marrying the importance that we have in Canada on innovation and our technology partners and our entrepreneurs. Like Canada yeah. has an incredible history over the last 50 years of innovation. And, mm -hmm. and we're recognized globally for a number of our innovations on the tech side and on the healthcare side, the pharma side. But what we don't necessarily do then is translate that into well, how do we make these work for our Canadian patients and clinicians? Hmm. We're happy that we can build them and we're happy that we support entrepreneurs to actually do these things, but we don't create the right environment then for these entrepreneurs to actually get those solutions working for clinicians and patients in Canada. And that's really the impetus of why Mix exists to help solve some of those problems and, and, and help get those Canadian made technologies and solutions working for Canadians. It's absolutely amazing and great that our companies are able to sell their product and, and launch their solutions overseas and in <laughs> Asia and in the States. But what about Canada? What, what about our patients that, that need it here as well? So I, I think, you know, a, a big thing that we could do is marry that the importance that we have on our public and universal healthcare system that we absolutely love, as well as our technology ecosystem and mm. really co collide those things together to make it work for everybody. Yeah. You touched upon three fascinating principles there, and we'll try to cover all three. What about the one piece that I really liked that you spoke about is the ability to look at international markets and potentially even look at international interventions that can come into Canada and call Canada home. Mm -hmm. It's just fresh new thinking, fresh ideation. Do you think there's an opportunity there and what will it take for people like us to work together to make that? Yeah, I have in the last probably six months or so, I've had more reach outs from international groups and governments, government related and business leaders from outside of Canada, inquiring about mix and inquiring about companies at mix than I have in my whole time here, which is 
fascinating. I think there's an incredible opportunity for greater global, I'll say global collaboration, but um, global awareness of what's out there. Because one of the tenets I have is let's not recreate the wheel. You know, if we have something great, let's really amplify it and, and get it out there and get it working for patients in the UK or pick a country, right? And let's kind of, you know, evangelize and share our knowledge and our innovation and, and our experience to really improve the systems that we have all around the world. I think the only way we can do that, though, is if our ecosystem is in a collaborative environment and working very closely. So it's not about mix. It's not about the accelerator center. It's about our ecosystem and how do we support the innovators that we have within our ecosystem. And the AC and Mixer are, you know, a, a great example. We have residents here and I know a number of companies that we work with who were former residents at the AC when they were, you know, small startup companies or just burgeoning and, and growing with, you know, three or five people. Our anchor company here tells great stories about when they were just five people and they had one room with one table at the AC and that's how they started. And now there's a hundred people working for them. So the only way we can attract that interest globally and, and across systems is if we're working together because we can't do it alone and we shouldn't do it alone and no one should do it alone. Yeah, fully agree, especially public healthcare, right? This is a sector which clearly, if anything, the last two years has demonstrated that we really need to come together. And I do think the region of Waterloo and sort of extended to Toronto, we definitely have the ingredients to make that happen. We do. That's why I use that example about high school graduation rates. Whose responsibility is it to fix high school graduation rates? Is it the school boards? I think they certainly should be leading it, but it's not just their responsibility. It's the responsibility of, you know, the healthcare system and industry partners and, you know, the region. It's everyone's responsibility because it all impacts us, just like public healthcare and our systems are so interconnected. hundred percent. And where do you think the, uh, the, this transient, maybe it's not transient, maybe it's the new norm, the interest over the last six months that you've seen, where does it come from? Is it a post? COVID thing or, or is it here to stay or is it folks noticing? Yeah, I think in this case, it's a post COVID thing. Health systems and governments and business leaders have realized what you and I have known for a long time that, you know, med tech is, so I'm going to quote myself, med tech isn't a nice to have, it's imperative. Health innovation is an imperative. We need to do things differently in healthcare because things like the pandemic happen and we can be unprepared for what's around the corner. We need innovative solutions and we need ways to get those solutions in market quickly instead of 10, 12 years to get into market in Canada. So I think there's a great recognition there. The thing that's very heartening to me is that this ecosystem and this community that, that we're in has recognized that for a very long time. And that's why we have um, organizations who like Mix who exclusively focus on med tech, but that's why we have um, great partners at University of Waterloo and the Accelerator Center, for instance, and Velocity, who have been building their health innovation and med tech presence over the last number of years to help those yep. companies grow. Absolutely. I, I just find it fascinating that it's the same pandemic, it's the same virus with mutations across the world, but the response in every city, country has been different. It's just mind-blowing. We all have the same virus. <laughs> it's, exactly. We're all working differently. It's 
very strange and it's confusing for patients, right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, they see, you know, the UK's I, I'm using their example, but the UK is doing this. Why aren't we doing that? Right. Like it's their scientists and their clinicians are probably looking at the same data as we are. So it's, it is confusing. Yeah. And I think that's where to your earlier point, the, the culmination of ecosystems coming together to discover the best in class, as far as metric devices, practices, healthcare is a hot topic is so key, but I also do, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. It's a healthcare in general, and specifically, I think public healthcare is an area that the common public take for granted. And I'll try to explain that when policies and instrumentation and technology is put to use and it works, nobody hears about it. Well, it doesn't work without getting into the definition of what's not working. Everybody takes notice and the reaction is very different across the value chain. And if precautions are taken seriously, crisis is averted, people tend to, and it's obvious during the pandemic, people tend to say that, well, these measures were unnecessary and if precautions were not taken and there are obviously consequences, people criticize public health care, right? So you're in a very thankless space. And I guess my question is, how do you navigate those waters to tell people that what you do is very key and therefore damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. So what do you do as a leader to address that? Yeah, that's it. That's such an insightful question, really, because you're right. If the health system is doing everything right, then the average person's not even going to notice. It's just everything's operating as expected, as normal, quote unquote normal. It's incumbent, though, on people in leadership roles to really be pushing that that knife's edge of innovation because of examples like the pandemic. If leaders just let status quo happen and just make sure that the boat is afloat in healthcare, that's fantastic and patients are getting what they need. But when it's time to shift and when it's time to do things differently, it makes it even harder. So the leaders that, that I think are successful in our healthcare system are ones that are always pushing that knife's edge of innovation a little bit because it really teaches the teams to do things differently and think differently and take appropriate risk. Because when you're faced with crisis like the pandemic, for instance, and a team isn't prepared to make monumental shifts in process and work, et cetera, or have to because they have no choice, it makes it that much harder. If you've got a leader who has really been making that effort to drive innovation, de-risk things and encourage and inspire teams to try different things within reason in healthcare, and that's the, the balance you have to make, then that shift isn't quite as big. That leap isn't quite as big to that next step and that next stage of innovation. And thinking about like Guy Kawasaki, his talk on jumping that next curve, the jump isn't that high when you've been pushing that over and over again. On that topic of innovation, it makes, do you treat innovators differently from entrepreneurs? Or, or another way of asking that is, do you believe that every innovation needs to become a business? It's funny you ask that because I met with a group of students who were doing their capstone at U of T yesterday. And I actually forgot halfway through the conversation that I wasn't talking to a business. and a group of entrepreneurs, they're working on their capstone. And I had to, I literally reminded myself that. And so I stopped and I said, Hey, can you do me a favor when you're done defending this for your masters, 
if you spin off a company, call me because I want to give you some free unsolicited advice and I want to help you build that. So I don't think everything has to be, but there's so much opportunity in my mind. I see the opportunity for all these great ideas and the innovations to become and, and the innovators to become entrepreneurs that I do tend to encourage it. So I don't think it has to, but I tend to lean in that direction. Yeah, it's a terrific point because I've always wondered, given what we do at the AC, the impetus is really build enough business acumen so that it's a business. And I've always yeah. wondered in healthcare, does that have to be true? And I'm glad that you and I resonate on that note, which brings me to another topic, the idea of capital. I think in the last few years, we've seen this shift of private capital chasing immediate returns, not to diss anybody, but if an investor is out there, I've been an investor in the past, your goalpost shifts from solving the problem to very quickly, let's just hack away to the point that the next investor takes me out of the cap table, like money, boom, move on. And in healthcare, you, you really cannot have that mindset. It's a long gestation depending on life sciences versus medtech, et cetera. And how difficult for you as a leader it is to navigate those waters? That, that is the consummate challenge that I see in medtech. The traditional investor is looking for those shorter term returns. And particularly if they're, again, I'm going to generalize, but particularly if they're U.S. investors with experience in the Valley, et cetera, they're used to and demand and expect a specific turnaround on returns. And where medtech is concerned, that's just not necessarily reasonable or really forces Canadian companies to take a different path where that either acquisition or losing too much of, of their equity. So that's a constant problem. The trick is to find those medtech and health innovation minded investors who understand the industry, have the ability to make that longer term investment, but truly have that desire to see that solution to the end. And there's very few of those investors um, in Canada, but I believe that's because there's very few successful Canadian medtech companies and we need to grow that ecosystem. And that's a long-term play. We need more companies like Bayless who have been around for 20 years. There's only a handful of Canadian successful Canadian companies that have done that. So as we grow this ecosystem and as we see more longer term successful companies, we'll see more investors like that who are able to make that investment that our med tech companies truly can see the greatest amount of value in. I 100% agree with you. And I think the challenge is that we'll end up, or well, traditionally one ends up in a catch 22 position where typically, like you said, some of the bigger check writers of private capital are south of the border yeah. and invariably for market opportunities, they move the goalpost and the company to the U.S. And if and yep. when they take off, we're an American company at that point. How do you solve it? And I think the answer is we've got to take some risks, both with capital as well as with ecosystem partnerships, et cetera. Do you see capital drying up, which it sounds like it will, over the next 12 to 18 months being a challenge? I don't think so. I think at least I'm starting to see a shift in where it's coming from, certainly, but I don't see it drying up. I think that medtech is a pretty stable industry right now. The pandemic really proved to us that 
There's a ton of stability. Our companies hired over 250 people in Ontario last year in 2021, had somewhere around $12 million of investments made into the four companies that are here, filed 10 or 12 patents in total between all of them. Given the fact that there's the pandemic, that's excellent stats. So I don't see it drying up anytime soon or, or diminishing. What would, in your view, would be the top two or three challenges in terms of attaining goals? And that could be both for Mix as well as for the companies. Yeah, we don't have, I touched on this earlier, we don't have enough anchor companies in Canada. So we don't have enough thought leaders and people that have gone through this successful process before. So we do tend to lean on the same mentors and the same companies and the same leaders for that inspiration and advice. That's a longer term solution. So when Mix is trying to help solve that by growing and developing these companies and helping to develop these companies. The other piece is getting the right advice and the right mentorship. There's a lot of advice out there and there's a lot of bad advice out there. So we, Mix really tries to help guide our companies towards the right advice or what we see as the right advice, or at least having a, a broad perspective so that our entrepreneurs and our companies can use their best judgment and make decisions for their company after getting a good perspective on, on what they should be doing. So I would say that the number of places to get advice and the amount of advice that's out there, or the quality rather. Got it. Yeah, and I think that those are excellent points for anyone dealing with existential issues in life. So no, yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> I know we're coming up on time. Uh, yep. I'd love to keep this conversation going, but it's always a pleasure talking to you, Elliot. On Me a too. parting note, what would your words of wisdom slash advice be to folks uh, who are thinking of becoming an innovator slash entrepreneur, specifically in the healthcare space? Yeah. So number one thing right away, if you're just starting out, talk to clinicians and talk to patients. One of the biggest challenges that I've seen over the last 10 or so years of working in this industry is people coming to the table and saying, look what I've built. I have this solution, but they haven't properly spoken to enough clinicians and patients yet because it's just either not going to work for a clinician or it doesn't work in the workflow for the process. So that's the number one thing. The number two thing is find those mentors who have done it before. There's people at the accelerator center, there's people at Velocity or at Mix who, if they haven't done it before, they can connect you with people who have done it before. And you need to listen to those stories and listen to those experiences to help you build your company. And that would go for any industry you're in, but particularly in med tech, because it is such a unique path to commercialization, go and find those people that have been successful before. Fantastic. Elliot, thank you so much. It was, uh, albeit short, super insightful, entertaining as always. We're looking forward to taking uh, the notes that we've made verbally from this discussion into potential practice as organizations go. Absolutely. I really appreciate being here. It's always inspiring to have this conversation and love talking to you, Jay. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Waterloo Grit, an Accelerator Center podcast, is sponsored by the David Johnston Research and Technology Park and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and recorded by Bluemax. For more Waterloo Grit content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemax.io to join us on Discord.